Turns out he's a major cinephile. They don't watch enough movies! It's a very simple formula! And here we go. Hello, loyal listener. Welcome back to a new year and a new season of Nick Nick Goes to the Movies. Like I said way back in 2021, we are now going to a bi-weekly format overall to accommodate the football season in my job. But you never know what will get a surprise, you know, plus one episode. So what are we on about this week? Well, we have a star-studded catch-up episode of one of the best films from the tail end of 2021. We have the latest year end cap of the MCU and the entire Marvel legacy. Trust me, you don't want to miss this latest Spidey flick. But let's find out why this worked for me. So, speaking of the multiverse, we got a fake-out tease with the epilogue to the Infinity Stone saga Spider-Man Far From Home. But, turns out, of course there is a multiverse. Marvel TV on Disney Plus has been putting that out there for a bit, but it was nice to see it in a way that felt confirmed in what we all wanted to see, the big screen with Spider-Man No Way Home. Now, that is out of the way. There were hints all around of seeing more than just one Spider-Man, and it goes without saying, with the multiple villains from multiple incarnations of the Spider-Man franchises being played by their original actors, it would have been foolish to think that we were not going to see both Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire join in with Tom Holland. Especially with the leaked, I want to say, Brazilian trailer with a lizard, like, extra one or two frames taking a hit from an invisible source. Unless we were getting a Miles Morales live-action version, not unlike Into the Spider-Verse, but instead, we got what we more would have expected to with the cast. And this cast is stacked, like, Super Spider-Man 3, but not just with characters with name recognition. This movie is the best kind of nostalgia blast that finds a way to make this generation of Spider-Man franchise's MCU characters still have meaning. The story is still about them. It just has a ton of fun multiversal detours along the way. But it does get you to a great destination in the end. So who is in this movie? Let's break it up with, like, you know, standard MCU characters and then the fun others from decades apart. So joining Holland, no surprise here, is Zendaya, John Favreau, Jacob Batalon, and Marissa Tomei, and now fairly rooted in the franchise as a different but same J. Jonah Jameson played once again to perfection by J.K. Simmons. It's a shame we'll most likely never get to see his briefly explored Jim Gordon with the Fairly in the past Snyderverse DCEU. I hope it's coming back, but I just... I don't feel confident, especially with the assumption of what Flashpoint will be. And look, Aquaman and Wonder Woman can kind of live in their own world for now. That's probably what they're going to do. I will always hold out hope, though. Now, we did get some... I don't want to say deeper cuts anymore, but... Outside of the normal Spider family with Doctor Strange regulars in Bandit Cumberbatch and Bandit Wong. We, of course... Also, to my great pleasure, get short returns from some of the teachers in Peter's first two movies with Hannibal Burris, Martin Starr, and J.B. Smoove back. We don't have Kenneth Choi back as the principal, but most of the academia people were back, which was fun. Also great to see some MCNU love with 
Charlie Cox back as the person behind the Daredevil mask, Matt Murdock. And with Kingpin back and Hawkeye played by Vincent D'Onfrio, hopefully and probably not dead after that finale, things are looking up to get more of the actors back in some capacity. Also, remember when D'Onfrio was in Jurassic Park 4? What a time, right? So, while we did not see any Uncle Ben, Gwen Stacy, or Mary Janes from other multiverses, we got, as was shown in the trailer prior, returns from Jamie Foxx's Electro and Rice Ephon's Lizard from Amazing Spider-Man, as well as Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin, Alfred Molina's Doc Ock, and Thomas Hayden Church's Sandman, all from the Maguire trilogy. Sad we never did get to see the Dylan Baker version of Lizard from the Raimi Spider-Man. Same thing with uh, Bruce Campbell was going to be actually their Mysterio, and he was littered around the first three movies, so that would have been a super fun little quirky thing. Never to be had, apparently, sadly. So obviously we could not get every villain wedged in here. I know people will wonder, why no Sinister Six, five, just the one away? Especially when people were super interested in seeing Tom Hardy's Venom. And while he exists in this movie's post credit scene, it does seem like Tom Hardy at this moment will do his own Venom 3 thing, not attached to Spider-Man, and he won't be joining the MCU and live in a separate universe. So, many questions with Morbius, with Michael Keaton and Spider-Man things in that trailer. We just don't really know where we're going at this point. Hopefully by you know march and may we'll have a little bit of a better understanding after both morbius airs and maybe we'll get some more venom news and obviously we eventually do have the doctor strange sequel to this movie but not every villain could be back we got a little mysterio old footage nothing super different while it could have been fun to see keaton's vulture back i don't mind him not being here it would have not really met with the story i guess all the villains kind of aren't his own villains or Spider-Man villains, not this Spider-Man's villain, I guess. I'm for sure happy with no Dane DeHaan Goblin. I remember that being super weird. I don't fondly remember Amazing Spider-Man 2. Maybe that will change. Probably not. No Paul Giamatti Russian rhino robot here either. It being mentioned was hilarious enough for me. No world Franco would have returned in this for obvious reasons outside of cinema storytelling. I think most people would have expected a... Like an Eddie Brock Venom played by Topher Grace, once again, name dropped. And the symbiote now lives in the MCU, but I think we all want to see what Venom will bring that version into the MCU. Also, blink any miss at moments. If you remember at the end of the movie in the sky when the multiverse is crashing, there's a lot of outlines. Now, I noticed these and I felt like Marvel smart trying to try knowing these things that maybe not everyone picked up on, but... In case you missed it, there is a rhino outline, which I think was the probably obvious one you saw in the sky. But there's also a guy with a, like a spear, and I'm sure that has to be Craven. So seeing those outlines in the sky, things to come. We have yet to see a Craven in any live action, but expect the character to be around in Sony MCU things soon enough. Rhino TBD. Also, last character thing, we have yet to see payoffs of either. Donald Glover or Michael Mando. So let's get on with that, Sony. I don't know if I'm as excited for The Prowler, but I very much wanted to see um, Scorpion. I think we all want to see Scorpion, let's be real. So a lengthy list of actors and historical Marvel things overall, but what is this plot and story all about, and how good is it? So we know where this movie kicked off. Heck, the 
cliffhanger with secret identities, something that really isn't a thing in the MCU. One of those drastic changes from the Civil War MCU versus comic Civil War is that's fought for the registration of superheroes where this is more where they can go on missions and stuff. They had to change it because, let's be real, secret identities really aren't a thing in the MCU except for a time, Spider-Man, Peter Parker. So... We've been waiting for this answer since 2019 of where this movie's going to go from here. A couple films in between could never satiate this, I'll say it, Avengers-level movie and the need we all had as an audience for answers. So yeah, the immediate fallout involves getting arrested, the entire spider posse. Sure, a surprisingly agile blind lawyer is there to help them out, but the blowback of it impacts everyone around Spider-Man and the overall coming-of-age stories that make this trilogy so nice and feels like it's actual high school is uh, <laughs> once again it's all over the early portion of this film we never were going to believe some of the Maguire Garfield high school things right that was never the case all three of our students get college rejections and this leads to our Doctor Strange tangent well part one at least so while I love seeing Doctor Strange overall it's actually more interesting to see the little details of this franchise that it throws in the MCU overall. With you know him blipping and Wong, we only kind of knew what happened with him, but because he didn't blip, he's now the Sorcerer Supreme. So as the trailer started and showed, the spell to erase everybody's minds that you know he's not uh, Spider-Man, get his secret identity back, doesn't go well. <laughs> doesn't go particularly well. But we need some more conflicts outside of not-so-secret identity. So lo and behold, we got some super fun scenes going through um, mistake identity, Spider-Man's, you know, as our newest Peter fights our one of our original favorite villains in Doc Ock on a bridge, which was super, uh, it was such an amazing visual, especially with the nanotech stuff bringing, you know, these classic portrayals of Marvel villains into our MCU as we know it. I was for sure a bit ticked off with our first Green Goblin intro cut short. I was nervous he was going to be severely sidelined in favor of Doc Ock and everyone else just existing. Thankfully, this was not the case for him. Now, we kind of ran through intros with Sandman, Electro, and especially Lizard. Lizard at times feels super underutilized and explored. Same with Sandman, who has a great arc in Spider-Man 3, but here really seemed to be included mostly for the cinematic fight moments let's be real they really really needed to do justice to jamie fox because lord knows that amazing spider-man 2 was not good i don't know if he'll ever be able to pull off nerdy guy he's just too cool overall no ifs ands or buts so while this does become a bit of a magic grab bag situation especially with how quickly this movie initially could have been solved capturing all five villains yes last time i will say it we really should have had six, and Venom by Topher Grace, I feel like, would have been a fun thing. Also, having a huge air quotes battle with Doctor Strange and winning with Geometry, that was pretty amazing for this Spider-Man. Like, watching Ant-Man beat Falcon, but this was like, for my sports listeners and friends, Cincinnati beating Alabama level of upsets that we witnessed in the MCU. Something that 
did not happen in the big football game. And I like how this is all born from the innate goodness in all Spider-Man portrayals, normally brought on by Uncle Ben Aunt May compilation. Now I do like how they really underplay Green Goblin. It seems more shattered with two wearing personalities and he almost seemed like another mentor for this MCU Spider-Man, but he can't have nice things. So when they try to cure everyone, not in the way of just making everyone a lizard person, but actually fixing them, they pretty much get to just one and making Doc Ock a good guy. They're close to Electro, but after that, you know, change of fate from what I would call the true villain of the story, Norman Osborn, they almost fix Electro, but doesn't work out and everyone breaks out. And I was obviously enjoying the the different phases of this movie, but it really leveled up for me when we started getting more parallels to other Spider-Man movies, like the fight with Willem Dafoe, who people forget wasn't just a guy in a glider. He had super strength in that movie, too. When he went at Aunt May with the glider, you just knew she was dead from, like, he avenged stabbing himself way back in 2002, which people are saying maybe this version of him didn't get stabbed by his own glider yet because he's a whole suit was still intact no one really knows where all these different people were pulled from let's be real we kind of know with salmon i guess we know he was there when at the end because he was still friends with spider-man to some degree and i will say electro no clue that could have been anywhere lizard was sometime before the end because he already kind of had his redemption moment in the very tail end of the movie where he wasn't a lizard anymore And Doc Ock, I think they just said it was somewhere right before the fusion reactor thing. Because he never really had that immediate good turn. I think he was always kind of evilish with the tentacles once that was like spinal tapped into him. This movie took a, a darker, irrevocable turn, and I was here for it. These movies sometimes have no real stakes, and everyone lives. But not here, baby. I mean, it was very much like the Crisis on Earth X special the Arrowverse did when they killed off Martin. And it was like, wow, these specials, no one, you know, nothing really ever happens. It's fun seeing everyone fight together, but no one's really going to die that's going to impact anything. And, you know, in this show, this special, a uh, character dying, which was a really good scene, by the way that had long-lasting impacts on the CW Flash show after the fact. One of the better specials, in my opinion, was the Nazi versions of all the characters fighting. It was very well done. I'm very behind on the CW shows, but I remember that one. That was a, a good... But back to the Spider-Mans. The thing we've always been waiting for is the, the famous line. You know, we remember it time and time again in the McGuire trilogy. We remember it in the Andrew Garfield ones, and we've been kind of waiting for someone to say some variation of great power, responsibility. We finally got our great power, great responsibility line at the tail end of Aunt May's uh, stay and the character that's alive. So finally, the how and why for friend Ned getting magic powers is a bit silly, but man, the portal thing, finding multiple wrong Spider-Men There hasn't been, for me, much uh, movie theater clapping like that in ages, in my experience. I can't remember the last time I've had that. And this is the first movie I am going to watch twice in theaters since Revenge of the Sith. So you know that is pretty good. But seeing Garfield first, before Maguire, was a fun choice to get us really hyped and nostalgic and then really hit it home. If you are a Marvel or Spider-Man movie fan, this was truly an amazing moment. 
in every interaction with all three Spider-Men. Like, it's amazing from the sciencing together to fix everybody, the jokes, the deep emotional connections, the differences. You know, I love when they talk about the webs coming from his wrist and how no one else has that problem. I mean, they're referencing old villains, you know, oh, I fought this black alien, a.k.a. Venom. Oh, I fought this purple alien in space, Thanos. Oh, I fought this guy in the robot rhino outfit that you know, the Mary Janes, oh, we have a Mary Jane, oh, I had someone, and, you know, it didn't work out with Gwen Stacy callbacks, oh, man, in the same way that Endgame may not be as meaningful without the deep investment uh, in all that came before, this movie had that exact same thing, if you were about these Spider movies, even if you only, like, you know, one, two of the Maguire and one of the Amazings, you'd still get enough, it helps if you've seen them all, obviously, like I said, I'll be fascinated to see if I can do something to enjoy uh, <laughs> the last uh, of the amazing spider bands which is having a lot of uh, a lot of noise to try and get a sequel out for that I'd love to get both sequels for uh, amazing spider-man 3 and original spider-man 4 I don't think that will happen but I'd I'd be curious uh, also when we do get to this big final battle that we all know is coming, there's something fun about, uh, I know this would happen a little while earlier in the movie, but the uh, Electro's character using Iron Man's arc reactor tech to stabilize and power himself. Like, it's more of those fun little things of having MCU ties to characters that were introduced pre-MCU and pre, really, I don't know if you want to call it the renaissance of superhero movies, because it feels like we're just still making things. Like, if they ever start getting really bad, I'll probably be done, but I, I don't see that happening anytime soon. I just don't. Maybe I'm just addicted to superhero movies. I mean, duh, but still. The final battle here is so fun to watch. It's not just a big hulking mess of something. It's not like, you know, the non-air suicide squad cut, which hopefully we get that at some point, the air version I would be very excited for. It's not just, I love Shang-Chi, but I don't like the fact that it became a CGI battle at the end, like, some of these movies just decide, here's a big, bad CGI monster, and that's how it ends. This had characters and different things. Look, it's kind of why I like the, for the most part, at least, elements of the Eternals ending. Because it doesn't just a big creature, which it easily could have been. It had multiple people using their multiple powers. And I thought that was great here as well. Like, sometimes it's curing these villains. It's, you know, it's quick, it's fun. Um... It's a little too quick sometimes. Clearly, they made Electro like super powered here, and comparatively to, you know, Lizard was always whatever, Sandman was a little bit whatever, but thankfully, uh, Doc Ock was there to help fix and get some superhero moments himself. And all the villains mostly have some reaction to their specific Spider-Man. Another reason why I would have enjoyed some Vulture nod or interactions here. That was also, I think, the villain who is going to be utilized to some degree with um, Dylan Baker's um, Lizard, and it would have been... I don't remember if they had a casting rumor or not for Vulture, but I knew that was a thing. Mysterio would have been there, but like the, the storyboarding, at least for four, was like Peter flying through these like whatever villains, and Mysterio is one of those whatever villains there were. I really liked Mysterio in the MCU. I think they did a, a good job at making a character that's always been kind of like a, a goofy illusion character, saying so that felt a little more realize and honestly a little more like a threat 
also the the teamwork talk because they start out not being great and then eventually they work together as a team and that's when things really are moving and grooving and i love when they you know mention uh tom holland's character is like oh i was a member of the avengers so i know how to work on a team and everyone else is like who who is that priceless Sadly, those movies really never got too much talk with crossover elements, even if Doctor Strange was name-dropped in one of Raimi's Spider-Man movies. I believe it was the second one where they're trying to name Otto Octavius Doc Ock, and they say Doctor Strange. I think he says that one's good, but it's taken. Vintage. In the same way that Doctor Strange got teased way back in uh, um, Captain America and the Winter Soldier, I think, when they said Stephen Strange, and no one probably knew who that was yet because he was still just a random surgeon at that point. But it's funny that that Doctor Strange name drop existed in one of the Raimi Spider-Man movies. The first MCU horror movie will be with Doctor Strange that he's directing and the whole multiverse of madness, which we did get a teaser for post this movie, which was very enjoyable because I think at this point we really just don't know what's on tap. We know the movies, we know the shows that are named, but we don't really have a whole lot of info. It feels like it's been a while since we've got a ton of anything outside of, like I said, all the Morbius non-MCU stuff. So the big villain here being uh, Green Goblin, super fun, and having the MCU Peter have to contain his anger and being stopped from the other Spideys from not killing Green Goblin for essentially orphaning him again. I mean, so good. They've all had their losses and had to overcome, and and the emotional ties of all that stuff is is very good. And honestly, this MCU version has lost a lot with, you know, his surrogate mentor and uh, you know Iron Man. He's lost his aunt now. You know, he he doesn't have a whole lot going on except for his friends, and you know, a lot of the Avengers he knows are gone, so it's, you know, Doctor Strange is one of the only people he could talk to. You'd think it'd be maybe Bruce Banner or something, but we really don't know where we're going with that character yet, and maybe we'll find out more, hopefully soon with She-Hulk, but having seen him in human form at the post of Shang-Chi, TBD, I suppose, what's going on with him. But he had to be stopped from, from killing, you know, this other universe's Green Goblin, and this almost leads to Toby getting killed, kind of getting stabbed by the same glider that he never got stabbed in the first one so green goblin getting a few big licks in on you know characters and versions of people from the past thankfully him being stabbed to death because i was not happy if they were going to kill off toy mcguire thankfully that doesn't kill him but what does kill us as fans is the way to fix this all is to have everyone forget who he is making all his super pals forget his secret identity his best friend and girlfriend happy like everyone forgets leaving him alone and us shocked and feeling all of our feels. And honestly, I have no clue where we're going to go next with him. Everyone was hoping that him in an apartment was going to be with the uh, give-me-rent guy, but uh, not to be had, sadly. Um, but it's an interesting place we've left our, our Peter Parker, and we'll see what happens. So yeah, Spider-Man No Way Home was a fire addition to the MCU overall, as well as the overall marvel pantheon bringing every spider person we could hope for together not mid at all all the actors back and the amazing way they tied everything minus spider-verse together a beautiful way to close out 2021 alfred molina was great they did so much better with jamie fox and i will love to this day everything willem dafoe so let's check out that letterbox rating spider-man no way home it's so it's it's no brainer 4.5 i've never given out a five star yet 4.5 4.5 out of 5 is probably the highest I go, and I think this movie deserves it. It was 
It was great for the MCU of the current. It was honoring the Spider-Man legacy. Look, I, I grew up a little more X-Men-y from the early 2000s, but right there with Spider-Man. And there's been so many versions we've rebooted Spider-Man, and none of them have been particularly terrible. There may have been some missteps along the way, but they all have some place in, in their goodness. And this movie did so much fun, and I cannot wait to see where they go next, not just with the MCU, but with Spider-Man, and hopefully overall. We've heard Trilogy, we've heard he's done. All I can say is we'll see Uncharted... Hopefully Tom Holland gets a little bit of a breather, and we'll go from there. Well, I did not intend to make this a one-movie episode. Honestly, this might be a first for this show. I'm sure I've done one before, but I just can't remember it. But I have a lot to talk about with Spider-Man. And now I just know I have to get into the other Spider-Man movie series is on this show sooner rather than later. But who was your favorite of the three seen here? I don't even have time to talk about all the animated ones yet. Let me know on Twitter... Instagram, TikTok, and more at either movies or knickknack underscore IC. And next week, you can look forward to the final page turn of two 2021 movies, a true royal send-off to the year, fit for a king. Just one final resurrection to listen before we get reloaded and revolutionize the podcast airwaves. Either week or next week, TBD. So as always, for the first time in 2022, until next time, cinephiles. Are you not entertained? I think this is going to be the beginning of a beautiful friendship. I don't like goodbyes. Let's just call this, see you later, alligator.